FIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here are your hosts, Nancy and Peter. Welcome. This is Peter Altschul, the Program Chair of Friends in Art, also the Scholarship Chair, and I am thrilled to have four of our more recent scholarship winners from Friends in Art, and so we hope to um, get to know these folks a little more than we know already. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Nancy Pendergraf, Friends in Art's Vice President. Well, all right. It's wonderful to be with you all today. Thank you, Nancy. As I said, we have four scholarship winners who I'll introduce in a second, but before we do that, I do want to say that we, we encourage you to raise your hand if you have a question. And during the course of the session at random moments, we will open the, the floor up for questions. So what I'd like to do is to ask the following question of our scholarship winners. And we'll start from the oldest to the youngest. So the question will first go to Wayne Piercy. Wayne, can you tell us where you're from and a little bit about yourself? What do you think? What's the most important thing for people to know about you these days? Well, hi, everyone. I'm Wayne Piercy. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and I am a classical and jazz trumpet player and composer and um, also uh, do a bit of early music stuff. For those of you who might remember the showcase from last year, um, I did a little mini presentation on the history of the natural trumpet and um, kind of its legacy and some early works or well, not early works, but some works for that instrument from the late, you know, 17th century. Thank you. And I, I seem to recall you were also interviewed on Blind Pride a while back. <laughs> I was. Yes. I was. I was interviewed on Blind Pride. And that, that was, was a, a really cool, that was a really cool interview. It was a very good interview. And on our arts parlor thing, too. That's right. That's yep, right. that's right. All right. So that's Wayne. Let's go to Matt. Matt, uh, can you identify yourself where you're from? And what is the most important thing or things you want people to know about you? So I'm Matthew Schifrin, and I'm also from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm a classical countertenor, which is a guy who sings like a girl. I play accordion and have a podcast called Blind Guide Travels that I think you guys may enjoy. Thank you. That's terrific. Uh, And you did a beautiful job on singing the Star Spangled Banner Sunday night. Not to mention his fabulous entry for the showcase, which got all kinds of oh, that wonderful, too, wonderful comments. It really was a wonderful thing. Um, Megan Downing, say hi. hi. Where yeah, are you from? Talk about yourself a little bit. Yeah. Hi, my name is Megan Downing. I'm from Santa Barbara, California, um, but I actually attend the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. So there's a whole bunch <laughs> of us in the Boston area. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I play guitar there as my primary instrument, but I also do some singing and stuff, but primarily with guitar, I've been doing mostly some acoustic stuff with like finger style with some percussion stuff. And then I've been getting into um, some blues guitar lately as well. So I'm taking a few classes with that at Berkeley and I'm double majoring in music performance and music therapy there. So that's kind of a newer thing. I just added the performance major to my choice at Berkeley. So I'm going in there for my second year and it's like a really wonderful opportunity to be able to go to school in Boston and to be at such an amazing music school. So yeah, I'm also glad to be here. I'm grateful for Friends in Art. And yeah, I also did a little entry for the the showcase. So um, lovely to be on this call with all of you. Megan did a wonderful solo guitar percussive thing, which was really fabulous. It oh, was. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And then we have our most recent scholarship winner of uh, 2021, Kai Owens. Kai, can you identify yourself where you're from and a little about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Kai Owens. Um, I'm from South Georgia. I'm a drum set musician. I focus mostly on progressive metal, death metal, jazz, so a good mix of everything. Um, I'm attending at the University of Georgia in the fall as a percussion and music theory major, and I'll be moving out there in about three weeks. So thank you so much for having me, and I hope you enjoyed my showcase piece as well. We did. We absolutely did. We absolutely did. I, I love that music style that you submitted. It was, it was terrific. Three weeks that soon. That is very soon, yes. Yeah, I didn't think it was that. I guess that's August. That's right. I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, Nancy, do you have any questions for this nice panel? I was thinking, first of all, I want to say that Matthew also was an art parlor participant with us and was one of the first ones 
in fact, back when Lynn was working with the art parlor. So you asked me for a question and I've come with a comment, but <laughs> that's okay. So um, we should talk about the art parlor. Uh, what, yeah. is the art, what is the art parlor? Oh, the art parlor is a program that we have where we interview various artists. I guess a pretty good number of them have been musicians, but we've had a pretty good representation in writers also. And we plan to also interview some visual artists pretty soon in the future, I think. And so these interviews are on podcasts and then they get put on ACB radio, uh, now ACB media, I guess it's called now once a month. And yeah, uh, right. we're thrilled for that with that partnership. Uh-huh. So let me ask the, anybody who would like to address this question. Um, talk about your early influences. What prompted you to, to get to the place that you're at you, musically? Anybody want to take a run at that? I can take a run at that. This is Kai. Go, Owens. go for it, Kai. Yeah, so for me, I started percussion and drum set playing in the fifth grade. So my my brother was several years older than me, and he had done marching band and was doing marching band um, and ended up uh, marching as the center snare in the drum line. So throughout my kind of first years of drumming, I was doing concert band in middle school. And then once it came time to um, have the opportunity to join marching band, I actually decided that it wasn't quite what I wanted to pursue. So I got involved with a school of rock and roll program through my local music store and um, started playing rock and roll music and covers with people. And I was only 14 or 15 at the time. So from there, somehow from playing rock covers just inspired me to go way into the deep end of what rock music kind of became with metal and everything. And I was just fascinated with the rhythmic complexity of everything in progressive metal and progressive jazz type things. Um, And I love just diving into kind of the deep areas of nested tuplets and metric modulations and all of those type things, which are really like interesting and difficult rhythmic concepts that can be uh, utilized in really interesting ways. So that's kind of where I had a a love for metal and progressive music grow from. And um, now I've started kind of branching into the jazz realm for a lot of the same reasons and just kind of almost the exact opposite uh, manifestation of the same principles. Thank you, Kai. Yeah. Metric modulation is a fascinating thing, but that's very deep. We may get into that later. Uh, Well, so we have Wayne who's into classical and jazz particularly and Kai into rock and heavy metal and jazz and Megan, what particular styles of. um, Um, Yeah. I'm kind of all over the place. I, there's, definitely, there's definitely some aspects of jazz that I use in my guitar playing, but when I sing, I do mostly like folk and that kind of stuff, but I also sing in like a rock, pop rock band. So yeah, I'm kind of like pretty diverse. I started off playing Irish fiddle at the age of four and then, um, or I guess classical violin and then it changed to Irish fiddle. So I'm, yeah, I've kind of dabbled in a bunch of other things, but I, I recently got a semi hollow D'Angelico guitar and that's like a lot of times used with jazz. So, and Berkeley is like a wonderful place for jazz. So um, I might start getting into that. It's a scary, scary realm to go into, but um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it and hopefully I can get more into the jazz. That, sure. that's, that's awesome. Wayne, what about you? Well, let's see. Um, I started playing, well, I was formally introduced to classical music in fourth grade before I even started playing trumpet. And um my uh, elementary school music teacher was really good at introducing us to a lot of the the big hit, you know, the the major classical composers, uh, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, that, that sort of thing, Haydn, Mozart, Handel, Vivaldi, all of the bigger names. And I really fell in love with classical music at the time and decided that I wanted to do composition. Well, when I got to sixth grade, I started playing trumpet and uh, kind of got distracted with the whole performance thing. So <laughs> my dad was a uh, country and bluegrass guitar player. So improvisation wasn't really something that was very foreign to me, even though country and bluegrass and that sort of thing wasn't really my cup of tea, so to speak. But I got involved in the jazz band when I was a seventh grader. And um, it was funny because we started learning the blues and um Whenever they were like asking, you know, kids if they wanted to pick solos, I was always like, pick me, I want to do it, pick me, pick me. And so I was never 
afraid to jump in there and take solos. So I did a lot of solo and ensemble stuff throughout middle school and high school. In high school, I made Texas All-State Band. That's also, when I was a freshman, I fell in love with uh, Wynton Marcellus and uh, really mm-hmm. got into his sound and his music and then realized that I could do both and I could do both classical and jazz at a really high standard. And so Wynton has always been my number one influence, no matter what I do, even, even you know, early music, I still think about Wynton a lot. So I, you know, did all that through high school and then, um, you know, found Berkeley and um, I went to Berkeley and continued my studies of classical music and jazz further. And while doing all of that, I helped to start a program for blind students teaching music technology and Braille music. And uh, Megan, you're probably familiar with Chi by this point. <laughs> yeah, that's literally the reason why I went to Berkeley. So I appreciate yeah, exa- well, yeah, exactly. one of many reasons, but that was definitely like a, it made me like that was the deciding factor between other schools in Berkeley. And sure, so I'm grateful yeah. for you because I am now able to chart my own music and use Pro Tools and Logic with Chi. So like that's, I'm super grateful for you. And Chi, no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I so. it, it goes a long way. It took a couple of years of, of advocating and uh, getting, you know, the, the disability services coordinator at the time, who is not the same person anymore to get that ball rolling. And, um, this is how I also got connected with uh, Friends in Art of ACB was because uh, they were instrumental in, you know, along with me in, um, you know, sort of talking to Berkeley about what we needed and what what would be I- an ideal situation for our blind st- students. So um, through that, um, I served on the board of Friends in Art for about Oh gosh, what was it, guys? Five, six years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I was also on the scholarship committee. Um, I think at one point I was the sh- I was the chair of the scholarship. I, I committee think you for- were the chair. I think you yes. were. Yeah. yeah, I was the chair for a little bit. Well, um, that's till life kind of hit you hard with your dad and like that. But before that, yeah, you were yeah. Big time yeah, involved with with us till till your dad became ill, uh, so ill, and then. Yeah. yeah. Meg, yeah. Megan, I, I'm curious about something. Uh, Matt, I haven't forgotten you, but Megan, can you talk about, you know, uh, so you, you, you were a beneficiary of Wayne's efforts. How did that program help you more specifically? This is like, I could go on for days, you know? So I, before Berkeley, I had not really, so I did the summer program in 2019 and that was the year before I was going into my senior year. So it was kind of like the time where I was looking for colleges and um, even just that five week program at Berkeley, I was able to like, at that point, I hadn't really used voiceover very, very much. I have Stargardt's disease. So it's like progressive. And at that point, my vision wasn't, I could get around with Zoom, but I really wanted to learn how to use voiceover. And then with that, learn Pro Tools and all this stuff. So by the end of my five weeks there, I was like fluent with voiceover. I could, I had charted out like a full song pretty much like it was summer over the rainbow or something like that. And, and then I it was able to produce like a full, a full song all by myself. Like, obviously I had some guidance from the wonderful people that work in the lab, but I, the, the support and the education that by Chi, Chi Kim, the professor there, he's just, it, it touches me more than I can imagine because independence is something that I really like strive for, especially being a musician, you know, like, eyesight shouldn't be something that comes in the way of your passion and love for music and so with the help of the lab I was able to like kind of connect those things and like be independent and continue my passion then being able to do like a full year with Chi as well I like I I wouldn't have been able to do um, Berkeley without the um, accessibility and the the resources that I get because um, especially with online school you know I had to do most of my homework on Sibelius and I had to do most of that stuff um, via like online stuff. And then with the support, I was able to successfully finish a year. And um, so, yeah, definitely check that out because if you're a blind musician, it's like, it's definitely something that will take you to the next level. So in theory classes, man, it was always a, a a rough situation until we got those programs, you know, because then we didn't have full expression without, someone to write it down which is just cumbersome deluxe yeah exactly so being able to like take your own independence and when you hear something in your head you don't have to wait to tell your friend to write it down you can go onto your computer and and use technology to what it's helping us for and being able to chart your own music is 
like outstanding for songwriting as well, you know. So, so wait, before we go any further to sort of educate some folks who might not know, uh, can somebody talk about what Pro Tools is and what Sibelius is? Well, okay, but then we do want to hear from Matt. I know, I'm, I don't care about Matt, but, but okay. I do want to get that on the table. Okay. So can somebody take Got a look at what, yeah, Pro, Pro, Pro Tools or Sibelius? Yep. So Pro Tools is a recording and uh, sequencing program, and it's used by a lot of the major industry uh, recording studios. Used to be and, just um, about the industry standard, huh? Yeah, it is. Yep, definitely. I mean, I think there are some other, there's definitely some other games in town, but but Pro Tools is definitely, at this point, the biggest one. So Pro Tools is accessible on the Mac with voiceover, of course. And then there's another set of scripts that work with it called Flow Tools that Chi Kim and Slough Halladin uh, developed. And uh, another former Berkeley student, um, Rocco Fiorentino, have all teamed up to develop Flow Tools. Flow Tools gives you a set of uh, shortcuts, keyboard shortcuts that complement the existing um, user interface of Pro Tools to make things a lot faster and easier to use. If you have Sibelius, Pro Tools, how can you get Flow Tools? Flow Tools is a free... Well, you have to have a, a, a program called Keyboard Maestro to run the scripts. And I think that's a thirty dollar. That's a thirty dollar program, uh-huh. and the um, the Flow Tools scripts are free, and you can get those at flowtools.org. Uh-huh. And you can you can view all the release notes, any documentation associated with with Flow Tools, any of that stuff. You can view on their website. Anyone that has Pro Tools could just jump on yes. and get that. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And it's free. And you do have to get you do have to get Keyboard Maestro. But once you get Keyboard right. Maestro, the the, the Flow Tools uh, scripts are free. Um, Sibelius is a music uh, composition program, music notation program. And for many years, it was only accessible on Windows, an early, early, early version of Sibelius 5.25 with the uh, Sibelius Access scripts that were developed for JAWS. And as of 2019, Sibelius is now accessible on the Mac and the PC with NVDA, JAWS, VoiceOver, Narrator, any of the screen readers without any additional scripting, except for JAWS has a very small set of scripts that take care of some passkey through conflicts that interfere with Sibelius shortcuts. But it's really great. Um, We can use Sibelius on the Mac with no additional scripting whatsoever. So it's it's really great. I've actually gotten rid of my copy of Windows... (laughs) Yeah. I'll do only Mac I don't now. even have a Windows machine. I've got just Macs. Yeah, yeah. And and she she was also instrumental in working with Avid uh, to get um, he and Slough developed a screen reader tutorial for Sibelius, and uh, they were instrumental in working with Avid to get you know a contract uh, to get them to you know take accessibility seriously since they already did it for Pro Tools, you know, why not also do it for Sibelius? So we're lucky to have those programs be accessible to us. And of course, you know, that's all being taught at the uh, Berkeley Assistive Music Technology Lab. Thank you so much for that explanation. Um, sure. Yeah. And no problem. Now, Matt, I've, I, we haven't forgotten you. Sort of talk about your, your journey to, to where you are now. So I started seeing lessons at, I don't know, seven or eight years old. And Initially, it was a mix of classical singing and jazz singing, and I found that there were freedoms in both places. I think with jazz singing, there was a lot of scatting improvisation that you could do, but there was a certain rigor that I appreciated in classical singing. And as I grew older, I just kind of was thinking about what to do, and I had a very simple choice I could make. I could either, in the classical world, I could either be a tenor who couldn't hit the high notes or be a countertenor who could. And so I decided that it would be better to be a countertenor who could sing the high notes. And so I switched over to kind of a higher um, way of singing. And at the same time, I was also, uh, a friend gave me an accordion and he basically said, well, I have a musical and you'll get to perform in it if you learn this accordion part. And I told him, but I don't know how to play the accordion. He said, oh, it doesn't matter. You have a week, go. And I was able to learn this part. I was able to perform in this musical that went to the Fringe Festival in Scotland. And it was quite the experience. And so that's what got me into writing musical theater. And so basically right now I'm doing a master's in classical vocal performance at New England Conservatory and at the same time doing some musical theater writing on the side. 
So as I, as I remember, you graduated from your undergraduate last May, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, well, congratulations. And um, yes. yeah. And so we look forward to hearing more of your adventures at, on, uh, on uh, wherever New England Conservatory is located. I, I should know that. I went there a thousand years ago. So let's turn a corner a little bit and ask any of you who would like, to, some of you have talked about this a little bit or maybe a lot, but talk about how your visual impairment has tied into all the stuff you've done. How is your blindness tied into all of this stuff that you guys have done? I guess I can I can hop in again. Sure, go ahead. Um, yeah, so my visual impairment, um, I'll just kind of start off by summarizing exactly what I have going on. Um, so I started losing my vision when I was about nine or 10 years old. Um, I was originally diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. And then after seven years of not being able to find the genetics, we visited a, another doctor and they found out that it was, in fact, not retinitis pigmentosa. I have a rare set of genetic mutations that I'm actually the only documented case of. It acts pretty similar to Stargardt's uh-huh. with some differences. And then on top of that, I have a little bit of autoimmune retinopathy, which is kind of your your own body attacking your retina. But in general, it does act pretty similar to Stargardt's, I'd say. So now I function basically totally blind. Um, I can see some, but I use a cane, I use Braille, voiceover, all those kind of things. Right, um, but you still have light perception, right? Yeah, I still have light uh-huh. and color and some detail, but I have uh-huh. blind spots where all I have okay. is like pretty much light. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so as far as it influencing my music kind of creativity and everything, I'm not sure really how much it did. I think it might have pushed me a little bit away from the classical and symphonic realm of um, percussion just because of the my my inability at the time to read music of really any kind just uh, visually it was too straining um, so that kind of dissuaded me from that realm and that's when I got into rock and metal and all that and I was learning everything by year um, and then once I started to decide that I was wanting to go into music theory and go to my undergraduate for music that's when I started kind of taking the necessary steps to learn Braille music. And I've worked uh, recently been working on recording. Um, I personally use um, Jaws with Reaper on a PC, which works quite well. And it has, you know, all this, all the scripts and everything developed for it. So it runs very well. And I've been, uh, I've been really happy with my progress. I've been learning piano and um, some vocals on top of everything, but drum set is definitely my primary instrument. And uh, yeah, I'm just very excited for college and hoping that my Braille mu- music skills can hold up to music theory classes. <laughs> yeah. You'll learn it's ideal quickly. if you can, but you know that a lot of people have also managed with, with all of the other programs. But of course, I love my Braille music, but there's not so just what, one way to do things. Yeah. Uh, well, since we're on the subject of Braille music, Wayne, would you like to say a few words about your interaction with Braille music? What I'll say about music is one thing that will probably speed up your workflow. I mean, not to say that, you know, Braille music isn't good to learn because it definitely gives you a greater understanding of how music notation works. And it definitely gives you a greater understanding of how to interact with sighted musicians and be able to talk to them and that sort of thing. But for practical use, especially like in your your classes and things like that, I've found now, I will throw this out and say that by the time I got any sort of music technology skills, I was already six semesters. I had already been at Berkeley six semesters. So I went through so much of my core classes without, you know, any sort of, you know, music technology training. All I'd had was a week of training at Dancing Dots in 2007. And that went out the window completely. I didn't even get a computer until six weeks after I started school. It was just, it was just crazy. So and I just had to survive at that point. Um, Berkeley had no support, anything like that at the time, which is why I advocated for you know the the program to get to get started there. So uh, about other other tools, you know, um, uh, Sibelius is is a great way to do assignments for your uh, theory classes, and that's a lot of what we taught the stu- students at Berkeley to do. So if you're uh, regardless of what program uh, your teachers are using to write out assignments, um, you can get them to send you um, something called Music XML. 
And if you get a music XML file, then you can open that up in, in Sibelius. And um, then you can add, you know, do all your voice leading exercises and basically everything you need to do. Um, you know, Roman numerals. Sibelius is this. kind of really a good one for notation. Right, right. That's the Pro Tools or something like that. Oh, of right? course. Yeah. No, Pro Tools yeah. has like a, More a very, very rudimentary score yeah. view, but we don't even have access to that. So, yeah. so the best thing, like, say you can do is get music XML files and then, you know, put those into Sibelius, do your assignments in Sibelius, and then you can either print them out and give them to your teachers that way, or you can, um, you know, just email them a, you know, export a music XML file and email it back to your teacher. Or, or you can even, um, from Sibelius, you could even convert that into a PDF. You can and you can access a, your your Sibelius things to edit them and and like that before. Absolutely, you, absolutely. You know, yep. it, it, yeah. So that so eliminates what that what that'll in effect do is eliminate the the you know having to write everything out in Braille and then get somebody to like you know dictate it for you um, and you know tra- basically be a scribe for you. It's kind of eliminating the uh, the middleman as as it were. Um, again, I'm not saying that that Braille music is entirely a bad thing, but I think it's 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 important to understand that um, Braille music does have its limitations, and we need to be making sure that we're also using other tools as well. Definitely. There, interestingly enough, I've actually been looking into and working on getting uh, the Dancing Dots software package for my use at the college for kind of a similar purpose to Sibelius and it's uh, built in access to the Braille music that, that kind of uh, goes along with it. So um, what a, do you have any experience? Um, you know, I didn't, programs? I didn't really use Lime that much. I, I really didn't. I, I mostly, you know, by the time I got going, I was doing two things. I, one, I was doing things orally in office hours, which is another thing I strongly recommend that everybody does, um, you know, take some time, go to your teacher's office hours every week, because inevitably there's going to be something that you missed in class because, you know, teachers will put things on the board or they might give a handout or something and they may forget to email that to you in XML or a Sibelius file or something like that. The other thing too, I, I want to mention, you know, about the dancing dot software. It's great if you can get someone to pay for it. Yeah. But if you can't get anyone to pay for it, you can subscribe to Sibelius for, you know, as a student, I think you can get something like $10 a month for a Sibelius subscription or something like that. I'm not sure on the exact price. I'm paying uh, for Sibelius Ultimate. Um, I'm paying $19 a month versus, you know, seven or $800 for, <laughs> for Lime. And then, you know, another, another grand for, you know, for JAWS. Um, that sort of thing. And I'm doing all of that on the platform that I prefer. I'm not restricted to just using, you know, I'm not restricted to Windows. You can use Sibelius on the PC too. And, uh, you know, so you can have, I'm not, if you can get Lime, go for it. But I, I do think even if you do get Lime, I think that it's still good for you to know how to use mainstream music notation software. And Lime is not really that. Lime is what they call a, a music editor. A music it was it was never it, it, kind of bill made it not and this is not of course a, this is not a dig on dancing dots or anything like that but bill mccann basically made uh, you know lime uh to do things that it actually wasn't even supposed to do you know he he wrote those scripts so that lime would do what it does you know lime in and in and of itself it's not meant for heavy duty composition stuff sibelius is more meant for that so I'd, um, like to, I'd like to uh, thank you. Wendy. Anyway, sorry about that, Peter. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I want to turn the floor over to uh, Matt and Megan, who we haven't heard for in a while, especially Matt. How does how is your visual impairment uh, connected with the with what what you've been doing? As someone blind since birth, I think that the the visual impairment was just a part of the process, kind of all the way through. And as Wayne has said, I think that office hours with professors and tools like Braille Music have been really invaluable in making sure that I'm able to keep up with kind of what the music school workload requires of me. Okay. Megan, any, any, anything, anything to add? 
Yeah, totally. Um, I think one of the main reasons why I'm on the track of music that I am on is because of my vision loss. And it's actually the thing that made my parents realize that I was like, that something was wrong with my eyes. Something was wrong with my eyes. I was playing, I was completely excited till I was nine, like 2020 vision. And I was playing classical violin up until that point. And then um, my violin teacher started noticing that like I was getting closer and closer to the page and that I was having like a hard time reading. So that was kind of like one of the main signs that I had to go and like get my eyes checked. And then I was diagnosed with um, Stargardt's. And then since that, like that time of my life when I was playing classical violin, I decided that um, Irish fiddling was something or like my parents and my music teacher, we all talked and that it was more accepted to learn by ear with Irish fiddling because you all just kind of play the same thing and you just carry on with each other. And so I started getting super serious about that. And then I decided that guitar and singing is something that I wanted to. So I would say that my vision loss was kind of the thing that branched me into learning all these different styles of playing and learning all these different instruments by ear. And um, I also feel like it's kind of made my um, relationship with music even stronger. Um, I'm also a, a music teacher and I, so I have a bunch of students and I think that that's like helped me become a better teacher as well, because I know that not everyone learns the same way. And some people are visual learners and some people are auditory learners. And I, I definitely have adapted my auditory skills. So it's definitely been a process and my vision has had a great deal to do with it, but it's mostly for the positive for sure. Okay. Uh, thank you. Cindy, do, yes. we, do, we, do we have any raised hands? Yes. Michael, you may unmute. Yes, yes Michael Byington. How are you? Hi there. We're doing well. And this has been a wonderful discussion with some profoundly talented folks. Uh, Wayne, I wanted to compliment you on the online concert you did a few weeks ago. My wife and I truly enjoyed that. And I wish it would have gotten a little bit broader coverage than it did. But it was very nice. Oh, Mike, thanks so much. Thanks so much for that. And, you know, if you, if you want to share that concert, you know, get the word out. It's, it's, you know, it's up on YouTube. It's, you know, feel free to share that far and wide with anybody, you know, and get the, you know, get the message out. And if someone didn't just share it with us, how would we go get it? You could find it. You can find all of my shows on my YouTube channel. Ah, all right. Yep. You can find all of my recent um, virtual concerts on my on my YouTube channel. You have a good many, don't you? I think you gave one back in the fall, and yeah, I did. I did a cornet, so I did a cornet recital. Um, I did a cornet recital in the uh, in late late fall. Um, it was around October, and yeah. then I just did. I just did another virtual concert in March. Right. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, Michael, do you have a question? Michael? Okay. Sorry, I didn't unmute him. Again. Okay, that's I fine. Had... That's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. And well, we have more. Okay, okay I'm I'm ready. James, you may unmute. Hi there, there okay. I am. Yeah. So I I uh, I was on the um, I was listening into the the ACBS uh, scholarship celebration on Sunday. Got to hear I think most of you speak. Got to hear uh, Matt sing the national anthem, and I also got to hear. Um, <laughs> I also was uh, got to hear the friends in art showcase and that was a beautiful, that was beautiful work on the guitar, Megan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I have a couple so, and I also, I remember Kai was talking about his YouTube video. I remember you talk about your YouTube video um, that you played the drums on um, the band oh. in, uh, in Georgia. So a couple of things, could you repeat the information on that again so we could find it? And Megan, a couple of things. Is your band uh, Berkeley fellow Berkeley students, or is it a band you have back in California that you sing in? Um, okay, so this is kind of like a unique situation. Um, so I'm I went to high school in Santa Barbara, and I, for some reason, I feel like every per person I talked to at Berkeley is like, yeah, I'm the only musician in my friend group. But my friend group at home, there's like about like 20 of us, and not one of one person doesn't play an instrument or sing. It's like weird. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know what's in the water in Santa Barbara, but everyone in my friend group is super talented. And so after going there for my first year, a lot of the people that I had like taken a gap year or like did where you're behind me in high school that out of my friend group were like, I want to go to Berkeley too. So now there's like seven people in my friend group 
entering Berkeley this year or like had just finished their first year. So I play in a band with them at home and then hopefully we'll start gigging at Berkeley too. So it's kind of like it's, the answer is yes to both things. Um, I did play in an ensemble at Berkeley um, and we're not sure if we'll start playing it together again, but the band that I'm hoping to gig more with and play more in um, is Berkeley and home. So, so we got to hear your guitar the other, we got to hear your guitar the other night. Is there a way we can hear you singing on YouTube at all? Um, yeah, of course. So my, um, I have an Instagram account that has some stuff and I also have my YouTube. So it's, if you just search up my name, Megan Downing, um, it's just my name, my name's called M-E-G-H-A-N, um, Downing. It should pop up. There's also a link on my Instagram account, um, mdowning.music. So there, I have some stuff out on there and hopefully I'm working on releasing some stuff on SoundCloud and hopefully, uh, Spotify and Apple music as well. And if someone wanted to take music lessons from you, would that be through the through the through a service at Berkeley, or do you just advertise on your Instagram, on your social media? Yeah, so I have an email. I have a website that's linked to my Instagram page, and I can give that to you. So anyway, I do it separate from Berkeley. It's all private lessons on my own, and I teach anything from like guitar, ukulele, piano, and singing. So yeah, that's kind of that's how I do. I don't do it through Berkeley, but I do teach private lessons on the side. I'm, I'm right down the road from you in Massachusetts. That's why I should have, oh, I should have said that at the beginning. So yeah. So welcome to Massachusetts. And, and Kai, you. what was, can you give, can you give us that information again, Kai, for the, for the video that you were, that you were in, you talked about it on Sunday. Great. Yeah. So, um, I have a YouTube channel where, um, that showcase video came from. So that showcase video is actually one of three professionally recorded drum videos that I did for my college auditions. And then I have um, several other clips and different just covers and things for college auditions, all that kind of thing on my YouTube channel. And that's just my name, Kai Owens, K-A-I-O-W-E-N-S. And then my Instagram as well is where I'm probably most active. And uh, my Instagram is just my name, Kai, and then period Owens. And that has... I try to upload pretty often on there. So I'll just post new drumming ideas I have or practice schedules, interesting trips I'm going on or just kind of what's happening in my life. So that's probably the best place to keep up with me and um, bigger projects go out on YouTube. And I'm currently working on um, recording and performing a, uh, like a lo-fi hip hop track that I will release on Spotify and hopefully the next uh, month or so. And there was another band you did a collaboration with that you brought up on Sunday. What was it? This Town Needs Guns or this something like that? This Town Needs or? Guns. Yeah, that was a drum cover of one of their songs called Baboon. Um, and okay. that, was for, um, that was for my college audition videos. And um, yeah, that band's an incredible band. It's had a decently big influence on me. And uh, they're a very fun genre play um, band to play along to. And it's they make a... Um, a lot of fun things using very odd time signatures. Yeah, very odd indeed. Uh, thank you so much for those questions. Uh, any other hands up? Okay, Michael. There you go. You can unmute. I didn't get my questions in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you were finished. That. It was such a hesitation. There was a long hesitation. <laughs> so I thought, you know, you. I'm, I apologize. No, no problem. Uh, the question actually may not be that relevant to these people because they are all so multi-talented. They're going to go into uh, teaching academics, all kinds of stuff between gigs. But a question that has often plagued uh, actors who are blind or musicians who are blind are that, yeah, sometimes they get some really good paying gigs and they're doing really well. But most sighted actors and musicians that I know who do it professionally are um, when they're between gigs, they can go get a job as a waitress or uh, uh, taking money at a quick trip or things like that that are in the semi-skilled professions. And those are some of the areas where us blind folks and low vision folks are still very profoundly discriminated against. It's a lot harder for us to do that. And so uh, my, Absolutely. my uh, uh, thing that I wanted you to think about and comment on a little bit was uh, if you happen to come uh, at a time in your life when uh, your art isn't making ends meet, how do you plan to be able to stay in the arts and still survive? Well, as somebody who is trying to currently reinvent myself, I can I can kind of speak to that a little bit. I think networking, networking, networking is a really good place to start. Um, it may not get you it may not get you a, a gig the next day or anything like that, but just 
I think just meeting people is important. I've been I've been um, away from Berkeley since uh, 2018. My grant position ran out as a lab assistant in the program there, and um, you know since then it's been kind of a, a battle to reinvent myself and um, you know kind of figure out what I want to do. Ne- you know how I want to proceed next after that. So. Uh, and then, of course, COVID hit and that screwed up everything. But one of the things I've been doing is I've been just trying to meet as many people as I can who are in the music industry so that people know about who I am and and kind of know where, you know, kind of know like what I do and that sort of thing. It may not get me, you know, dollar signs right away, but just to get yourself out there is a good thing. The place I've been networking a lot is, an, is a, a social media uh, platform called Clubhouse. And I've been attending a lot of uh, music industry seminar kind of things on there and um, getting to know people who are actually kind of more in the, in, in the biz, so to speak, or, you know, people who do like arts management, that sort of thing like that. I'm not trying to get picked up necessarily, but, you know, I'm leaving myself open to uh, opportunities and, and things like that. I think it's good to, um, to network, 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 meet new people. Um, if somebody calls you for something, show up. Um, you know, if, if, you know, if you, if you have the time, if you can go into a room, even if it's virtual, um, just do it. It's actually, I think virtual, uh, you know, the technology that allows us to do all these virtual things is really great for us who are blind or visually impaired. Cause it's kind of harder for us to, you know, go, go up in a, you know, a huge crowd a party situation and, you know, just find somebody and, and, you know, single them out and be like, Hey, I want to talk to you about X. You know, so that I think having virtual spaces where we can, you know, come together in this way is actually really helpful. On that note, in a way of reinventing myself, I don't do things every week because I've been a little busy with things opening up back here. I've gotten a couple gigs and things like that, but I do have a blind musicians club on Clubhouse. You can follow that club at Blind Musicians of CH. They won't let you put Clubhouse in the name because it's a registered trademark. Um, so that's that's what I can say at the moment that I'm trying to do is just network, 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 try to meet new people and and see what comes of it. You never know what'll happen or somebody might look you up and you know really like what you do. Let me, let me uh, expand on Michael's question a little bit. And the question I'd like to ask the panel is when you're not playing music, what else are you doing? What, are, what, what hobbies do you enjoy doing apart from music? Oh, I can hop in there. I'm sure you can. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, Kai. So I have a quite a wide range of things I enjoy doing. I'm uh, also pretty active in the board sports community, especially the blind skateboarding and skimboarding. So I'm actually a sponsored athlete for skimboarding by a company called Exile Skimboards. But it's still kind of a, a growing sport. It's not huge necessarily yet, but that's essentially where the the form that most people know it in is small wooden boards in really thin water and you kind of slide along the coast. And then once you get more advanced, you're riding boards that kind of resemble surfboards, but they don't have fins and they're usually wider and thinner as well. So you'll actually run, drop your board, um, slide out to a wave, kind of hydroplaning on top of the water and then turn on the wave and surf it back in while doing skateboard style tricks. So it's in my opinion, the most difficult board sport that I've done. I've skateboard surf, wakeboard, all the, all those kind of things. Um, skimboarding definitely takes the cake in my book, but it's also, I'd say probably the best feeling out of all of them. It's a crazy feeling to be riding a wave, just kind of hydroplaning along with no real float in the board. It's all just based off the speed and power of the wave. And it's really a, a really cool experience. I've learned to do a lot of it without my vision, um, just relying on knowing how the waves break and being able to use my remaining sight to just see kind of what's absolutely necessary just knowing the wave patterns and where I'm where I'm at surfing and skateboarding as well I just went out with a group to Detroit for a blind skateboarding event and um, met up with a bunch of the guys like Justin Bishop Anthony Ferrara um, Dan Mancina some guys who are really uh kind of pushing the the boundaries and preparing uh kind of the younger generation for the Paralympics skateboarding coming up in 2028 I believe so yeah, that's what I do a lot outside of my time. And as to the original question, if things are kind of slow on the music front, as far as gigs and making money, my plan is to go for teaching and or 
uh, like more recording or maybe management, just working at venues, anything like that. And I found a a lot of people that once you get to know them are are pretty open to blindness and don't discriminate too much. So I figure if I can uh, maybe get a job at a venue or something that I play at all the time, I feel like that's a pretty good bet. So I I, I want to share a story. I hope I don't embarrass you too much, but uh, when we uh, we inter- when we interviewed Kai for the for the scholarship, I called him to confirm the interview, and I ca- he was in the emergency room. He'd just broken his leg skateboarding, as I remember. So he's doing it. And uh, <laughs> how's that leg? Yeah, how is that leg? It is. It's it's doing all right. Um, I've got. I'm in a boot right now. I've got a little bit of time left on that. Probably maybe a month and a half till I'm fully back to normal shoes and everything. But hopefully, I'll be off the crutches in two weeks or so. But I've just taken the chance to work on my left foot for drumming. So there you go. My left foot, I think is going to give my right foot a run for its money pretty soon. <laughs> can, uh, can, yeah, uh, can you uh, hear a bit from Matt and yeah. what you're doing? Yeah, Matt, what, what are you doing apart from music and stuff? So apart from music, I have a podcast called Blind Guy Travels that I do. And the past couple of years have been spent kind of pitching it and producing it and scoring and writing music for it. And it's a six episode miniseries. And four episodes are out. It's released through a group called Radiotopia, who are a group of independent podcast producers. And so that's basically been kind of my my main thing besides music. And other than that, I also create text-based building instructions for Lego sets. And I collaborate with Lego on that. And so they they write accessible instructions and then I kind of check them and make sure that they're accessible to blind kids. And other than that, I enjoy public speaking. I've done a couple of TED Talks, and I think it's a lot of fun just because you're able to... uh, It's very much... On one hand, it's a mix of storytelling, but on the other hand, there's also a lot of kind of... It's very energetic storytelling, and it's kind of like a puzzle. When you're crafting these talks, you're trying to figure out, well, how do I combine my story with also zooming out to the audience and making sure that they take away something that kind of can help them be proactive in their lives and kind of reconsider the world from a different perspective. And to answer your main question, I would hopefully, if things don't work well in the art scene, I would do teaching. Okay. That's a good answer. Megan, do you have any, what do you do when you're not playing the guitar or Irish fiddle or singing or, (laughs) you know, that that kind Uh, of thing? Well, yeah, I, um, I have, so I'm actually an athlete as well. And also shout out to Kai. I've known, I know Kai a little bit. We went to this blind athlete program together and he's an incredible athlete. So definitely if you can check out his videos, he's an amazing athlete and it's fun to watch. But something I, I, yeah, of course, Kai, it's nice to hear from you too. I um, am a water pool. So in high school, I've been competing in swimming for like a very long time. And swimming is something that I'm really passionate about. I actually got the opportunity to play water polo in high school. And so that was like a whole learning experience in itself because I played with sighted people and so being a legally blind person with no central vision playing water polo that was definitely like a learning experience and perseverance and like learning how to work on strategies and stuff like that so um, water sports is definitely something that I'm really passionate about and like staying active and fit I'm planning on joining a master's team I think in Boston so I can like start competing again in swimming so that that's something I'm really interested in and also I kind of mentioned before but teaching is something I'm I love to do so uh, my summer job and I know someone is talking about like in between gigs how income works and stuff like that so that's actually how I how I make income is working at um, a little school as a teacher and I do music plus sports stuff or like English tutoring or something like that um, and, so that's I really love to do that so that's a little and bit of your music I know that you said of course that you're a music major but that also you're working with music therapy yeah. and have you been able to work some with that facet of your musical expression? Yeah, of course. Uh, I actually have in more ways than, um, I mean, I think a lot of us have used tips of music therapy, but not known that it's a thing. And right. so I received an article from my grandparents like a few years ago, learning that what I had been doing, like, sorry, I've been playing in old folks homes and kind of, um, I got an opportunity to do a memory care unit performance and, yeah. you know, it's just like 
being able to see that direct impact that you can make with people and, and the power of music, we can all kind of relate to that. Even if you're not a musician, like when you're having a bad day and you turn on your favorite song, like that's music therapy in its own way. It's it's like the physical reaction and the emotional reaction that we have and the healing power that music can cause. And so that's something that I definitely, that's my dream career for sure. And so I've done a little bit of memory care stuff and I've also taught some people with special needs um, and some developmental disorders. So that was something that was really cool to be able to see how music can impact people who have different disabilities and abilities. So I hope to really continue that. So I'm starting my major classes this year at Berkeley. And so I really hope to continue with that and hopefully get a job as a music therapist. Thank you, Megan. So I'd like to ask the panel, can you describe your greatest achievement in music and how did you get there? Who wants to take a run at that? Mm, that's a <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, well, I think one of my biggest achievements in the past couple of years was memorizing all the uh, the trumpet parts to uh, Into the Woods, the musical oh, by uh, Stephen Sondheim. That was a pretty big accomplishment. It gave me a lot of confidence. And um, unfortunately, I didn't actually get to play the musical because COVID happened and canceled it. But I was I was already I was pretty well ready to go. I think, you know, some other big things that I've done, you know, as a player, getting myself around the uh, natural trumpet and, you know, learning a lot about the history. Um, I memorized some pretty big works by uh, Telemann, and um, I got to play the uh, Bach Cantata 51, you know, at, the, at an early music camp in 2018. I was the only trumpet player playing there without holes, and uh, that was really fantastic. Um, that was really cool to be able to play that with the, the vocalist and the, <laughs> and the strings. That meant a lot to me um, to be able to do that. Another really big achievement of mine is that I wrote a jazz tune, a, you know, kind of a labyrinth of a jazz tune about a service called uh, Ira, which oh, many of no. you guys might be familiar with. And so what I did with, what I did with that was I basically uh, wrote about the experience of using an Ira agent to navigate places and to kind of go through your world and explore your world in a different way. Um, you guys can find that on my YouTube channel. Wayne, uh, you're, you're being very modest. There's one other major achievement that, you, that, 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 that you, and I were, you and I were involved with, and that has to do with writing the Friends in Art jingle. Do you remember that? Oh, good grief. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Wayne, Wayne and I did that in, in, a, in a, at an ACB convention in a hotel room. And I, I think we used this. We, we used your phone, as I remember, or something, and recorded it, and uh, it made the original website. We haven't quite uh, decided whether we're going to we're going to put it on the new website, but that was a major accomplishment, Wayne. You're being that was a definitely that was major. definitely a major accomplishment. <laughs> yes. <All right. laughs> so, uh, how about other people? I guess I can jump in here. Yeah, I'd say I've, I've got a couple. Um, most recently, I would personally say getting accepted to Berkeley College of Music and getting accepted to the University of Georgia on a music scholarship are probably my two biggest ones. Obviously, I, I chose to attend the University of Georgia primarily for financial reasons. Berkeley, as many of you know, is extremely expensive. So in-state tuition was a little too tempting. But yeah, outside of that, I'd say it probably just would come down to some of the songs and concepts that I've been able to kind of wrap my head around and put into practice one of the tracks that's on my youtube channel and i actually submitted for the scholarship that i, that I obviously am here i ended up winning um, is a track called hansha by oceans 8 alaska it's a metal band but that that drummer is one of the most creative and technically proficient drummers um, i've ever seen i've taken lessons with him and he's inspired a lot of my playing and being able to learn one of his tracks note for note and record it was was quite an accomplishment on top of that recently i've been uh working some with understanding and grooving and really odd subdivisions so a lot of people talk about it in terms of like swing percentage so it's oh, yeah. kind of the amount of swing between eighth notes and triplets or even past that so you can have um instead of eighth notes where it's obviously completely straight you can have it set to quintuplets where it's a group of three and then a group of two um, per beat. So it just uh, feels completely different. So instead of one and two and one and two and it's 
So putting that into the context of jazz and lo-fi hip hop and uh, being able to kind of implement that in my playing has been one of the things I'm most proud of. Can you share your how you got into the University of Georgia? Yes. So it's it's quite an interesting story. I'm not a classical percussionist, which is primarily what the University of Georgia has. So um, I reached out to the percussion professor and I was uh, unfortunately had not heard back from him. And it was about two days away from the commitment day of May 1st. I was planning on actually attending the City College of New York for contemporary music, not performance, but just kind of studying it. And then at the last minute, I managed to get in touch with the professor. And I basically said, hey, this is my story. I'm not a classical percussionist. I'm a drum set player. I want to play drum set and I want to do music theory. And a professor is uh, Professor Timothy Adams, the head of the percussion studio at the University of Georgia, um, basically was like, all right, let me let me hear what you've got. So I luckily had already made some high quality audition videos for some of the other colleges. So I sent those over. And the next email I got was from the admissions rep. And it basically was saying, hey, and not to mention, I also missed the main audition because I, I wasn't a classical performer. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to perform like a marimba piece for their classical auditions. Um, so I get an email about a day before I have to commit to a school. And they said, hey, um, you made it in. We're waiving your audition, giving you a music scholarship, and we're going to change the program so you can play drum set and do music theory. That really kind of kind of hit me hard and ended up being what made me uh, choose the University of Georgia's kind of how much they seemed to like what I was doing and wanted to let me be a, a part of what they had going on. And I'm going to be working a lot directly with that professor. So he obviously knows about my blindness and everything. So I was really happy how willing he was to work with me. And that's kind of the story. It's pretty a pretty wild ride. It is a pretty wild ride. I think it's a, it's an amazing story. They created a music program just for you, which I think is and just really unusual. Let, let you kind of custom make one. That was neat. So let me ask this as a last question. What advice would you give to a blind person who wants to get into music? All right. I would tell them, use all the tools in the toolbox everything you can if braille works for you use that uh, also use music technology don't forget to go to teachers office hours you know practice as hard as you possibly can because there are going to be a lot of people in music school and beyond who will even though you know maybe you are very talented there will be a lot of people that doubt your abilities be very diligent cover yourself make sure that you're on top of your game always and one last thing is make friends and network. Make sure you're not just staying, you know, by yourself, you know, all the time. Make sure or or with a group of only blind friends, make sure that you are getting out and networking in the sighted music community so that people really can feel comfortable approaching you and um, making music with you. A lot of those when I was a student, a lot of those connections happened in the in the cafeteria. Yeah. When I was at, when I was a Berkeley student, I spent a lot of time um, networking, and I got to go to some of the greatest sessions around campus and uh, perform concerts with great great musicians. All because I spent the time and and networked and made friends with people. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, Matt, what thoughts do you have about any of this? I mean, as Wayne said, kind of engaging with professors is important, but I think it's also not only Wayne was kind of talking about people doubting you. And I think what is the most important is that you always kind of, sometimes things might get difficult, but always remind yourself when you're going into music, when you're practicing and things just are not going your way, it's very important to remind yourself that this is something you want to be doing. Because I mean, in a lot of cases, musicians, we think about, oh, why are we musicians? Well, because that's a thing that we want to do. We can't really see ourselves doing anything else. So if there are moments for you where you are completely, you're just exhausted and you don't know why you're doing this and things are not going your way, just ask yourself, is there anything else I'd rather do? And the answer is probably no. And if the answer is probably no, then just keep chugging along because eventually something, something good will come of it. Any final words for, from our other two panelists? Um, I just want to say thank you for having me. And um, my little short advice is to just use music as your tool. It's your passion and pour your heart out through it and don't let your vision or lack of vision stop you from doing what you love. Thank you all of you for being here. It's been really wonderful to hear from each of you. Thank you, Nancy, for, for being such a uh, support. 
and a facilitator. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed this. And check out our podcast when it shows up on uh, ACB Media. And thanks for listening. Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Radio. It airs beginning every Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. To listen and for a full schedule, go to www.acbradio.org mainstream. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org and please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.